0: Changing the subject and engaging my team on something important that showed that we have values, we've got a social conscience, we care about the world we live in, was actually a moment of hope. And I think, again, it contributed to the sense that we at Argonon, we do take our place in the world seriously, we take our people seriously, even when the chips are down, we are going to hold on to our values.
1: Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and our guest today is so awesome, and I'm just really excited to share him with you. His name is James Burstall, and he is the CEO of Argonon a major international independent production group. The group is headquartered in London, New York, LA, Oklahoma, Liverpool, and Glasgow. This group produces shows ranging from House Hunters International to the Masked Singer UK. James has worked as an executive producer and producer director for broadcasters all over the world. He is a regular speaker as an industry insider on both sector and wider business platforms, including the Financial Times, Guardian Variety, Deadline, and the Daily Telegraph, to name a few. Prior to his television career, James was a journalist working as a writer and editor in Paris, London, and New York for Vanity Fair, HG, Vogue, The Daily Mail, and The Evening Standard. He's here today to talk to us about his new book, The Flexible Method, Prepare to Prosper in the Next Global Crisis. James, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome to have you with us today. Dr. Richard, thank
0: you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled to be with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm really excited to dive into the book. It's more than timely. But before we do that, I, I want to jump in the James Burstel time machine and find out what was the event or series of events that put you on the path you're on today?
0: Well, when I left college, um back in the uh, 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 late eighties, I'd studied modern languages and I knew that I wanted to get into the culture space. My dad was a long-term producer, director and documentarian at the BBC. uh, But at the time I thought I wanted to go into journalism. So I did move to Paris and actually it was one of the best things I did uh, because I speak some foreign languages, French, German, Italian, and Spanish. So I love using my languages. And I was also very useful for Tina Brown and Anna Wintour and um, um, Harold Evans, who were at that time all working for Condé Nast and editing Vanity Fair, HG, then Vogue uh, and also Condé Nast Traveler. And they wanted somebody who was hungry and young and could speak some languages and they could call me up from New York or rather their millions would call me up from New York and say, do you mind hopping on a plane this afternoon to go to Vienna? And I'd be like, well, I'm 22 years old. I'm very happy to hop on a plane wherever you want me to go. Um, So I did work in journalism for several years, which I loved because I'm very interested in people. I know that people and the human mind are... And the, and the way we interact is such an area of expertise and passion for you. Um, I think the reason I studied languages is because when you speak foreign languages, you can get under the skin. You know, I'm so interested in different cultures. I grew up in London, which is one of the most multicultural cities on the planet. I have family in New York. I've got three wonderful nephews and nieces all live in the tri-state area. Um, and I've traveled all over the world working. So for me, it's a real passion to be able to collaborate. So collaboration is a big thing for me. Having worked in the in the print journalism for several years, I then thought actually I wanted to try television, which of course is where my dad worked for thirty years, and I didn't expect to end up following in his footsteps, but I did. Um, and actually, television is a very collaborative industry. You know, we have everything in our sector. From obviously now we have AI experts, we have lawyers, we have. Um, uh, accountants, and we have incredible creatives and actors and lighting and sound and uh, all the amazing uh, technical and creative skills that go with putting together a TV show. So it really actually fitted, I think, my personality. Um, I do also have a very strong social conscience. So we are a very broad based production group. And as you said at the beginning, we produced entertainment shows like Mars Singer, uh, and also very popular reality shows like House Hunters International, which is on pretty much every night in the US. Um, we also do some really hard-hitting current affairs, and we we make inquiries into um, how people live and work, and we challenge. We, we actually uh, were part of Breaking the Epstein story. Uh, we do 60 Minutes as well in the US. So for me, it's really important to be able to, um, as a broadcaster, uh, take responsibility for the world we live in, Uh, uh, challenge the world we live in, ask the difficult questions. Uh, I have three major um, uh, uh, cultural uh, touch points, if you like, at the heart of my group, uh, which are diversity, inclusion and climate change. We have to take responsibility for all three things. And I'll just give you an example. You don't have to go around banging people's over the head with this stuff a show like house hunters international which is a go-to show that we're very proud of millions of people love that show all over the world and we cast it in a way which is truly diverse we find people from all walks of life from all over the us and elsewhere in the world who are going on life-changing journeys and they are heterosexual couples, they're gay couples, they're people going through trans surgery, they're people of every single religion, um, colour, background, um, persuasion. But we never make a deal of it. We are simply casting it in such a way that these are interesting people who are reflective of the society that we all live in, who are going on a journey. And I think the most powerful way to uh, encourage people in the world to be more, perhaps more open-minded about diversity. Just not make a big deal of it, but just let people live and and let live, if you like. So I'm very proud of the fact that House Ones International is a show about real estate. It's about people going on travel adventures, but actually embedded within that, there is a really strong political message, which is we as broadcasters are reflecting the
1: world that we live in. And I'm very proud of that. Yeah, but... You've done it kind of like Star Trek did diversity, right? It's there. I mean, but and it's but not it, a big deal. It's, it's yeah, it's just there, and, and they never, you know, hammer it, like you said, hit you over the head with it. So yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You're you're in the TV space, uh, but you've written a book about dealing with global crises, and and one would <laughs> one would think at least on the surface that somebody who, you know, you didn't train in counterintelligence, you haven't been in the military, uh you know, where where is the connection between your knowledge, skills, and experience that you've garnered doing what you're doing at Argonon uh, and, you know, this essentially blueprint that an individual could rely on? to be flexible during times of global distress and i, I don't mean you know to say that to you pejoratively but it's a question that i you know that that i'd love to ask
0: it's a very valid point and i mean we went uh, i have an agent and of course we went to many different publishers and ashett who are one of the top three picked us up uh, to publish this book and you know of course one of the first conversations i had with my publisher was like well What qualifies me as an independent television producer to write a book about crisis management is kind of counterintuitive, right? And, of course, there are key reasons. One is the independent production sector is incredibly flexible and agile, and we're used to working on very tight margins. When one thing doesn't work, we pivot and we do something else. So we're very, very good at that. Um, Also, I have deliberately written the book in such a way that it is designed to be a manual. There are 16 lessons about how to survive any crisis, and these lessons are not simple. Some of them are quite painful and difficult, but they all work. And I made a point uh, because I wanted the book to be useful for a really broad audience. So, of course, there's a bit of showbiz glamour and a bit of Hollywood in there, of course, for fun uh, and also talented people. But I also went to interview like the mayor of Oklahoma City, who's an incredible, inspiring leader, uh, and farmers in the Carolinas who are living in the hurricane corridor of, of the East Coast, uh, and also people who work in gyms and hospitality and finance and legal and, and medicine and many other areas, because, of course, the starting point with this book was COVID, there we were back in March 2020, 2020, confronted all over the world with these horrific existential crisis, where suddenly we were all thrown back on our resources, many of us thrown back into our homes. It was frightening, I know I was frightened. We all have our war wounds, but we collectively, uh, and I interview people across, as I said, many industries, came up with some incredibly robust ideas that work. And it was actually a friend of mine who said to me, you know, six months after the first lockdown, which was back in March 2020, he said, look, James, you and your business, you are first out of the gate. You know, you're managing to produce despite the fact that you've been told that there's going to be no production in your sector for 12 months. We were producing The Masked Singer within four months. We were shooting a scripted drama in about five months, and the BBC had told us that there was no way we were going to be making that for another year or so, but we said we can't afford to wait. We need to get our people back into work. So we came up with a whole series of COVID protocols, a whole series of methodology, and I wanted to put that book in writing. I have to say as well, a lot of the findings didn't just come from COVID. We started developing the flexible method back in the credit crunch, which was also, in a different way, an existential crisis for many of us all over the world. We had to dig deep. And I have to say, one of the most abiding learnings that uh, we uh, realised was so critical back in the credit crunch was you have to put your people first. Business is not a PL. and l It's not just about crunching numbers, although these things are important. We're in business to make money. Actually, business is about people. So you have to put your people first. And when you put your people first and you make sure they're safe and they're looked after and they are valued and you have to give people time, we had to at the beginning of lockdown, give people time to get home, make sure there's food in the fridge, make sure elderly parents are safe, make sure the kids are not too frightened and they've got things to keep them busy. When you look after people in that way, they will roll up their sleeves and produce miracles for you. They will do incredible things for you when you look after your people.
1: It's, it's a Zig Ziglar lesson, right? You help everybody around them achieve what they want and, and you, by default, will get yours. So th- this is great. Uh, we, you've talked a couple of times, you know, we teased the title, the flexible method. So take us through flexible method 101 here, uh, James. How, how does it work and how does one deploy it? W- whether they own a business or just trying to use it in their lives.
0: Well, quite. I mean, you know, some people have read the book have been a parent, maybe a home, uh, maker uh, And I'm pleased about that because, of course, we all have challenges in our lives, whether it's in the workspace or at home. Yeah, so the book is made up of 16 lessons and I won't go through them all. But, you know, one of the very first is absolutely put your people first. You must make sure that your people are safe uh, because the people are the lifeblood of any business. I remember reading vividly back in the time of the credit crunch, Richard Branson, the very brilliant British uh, businessman Virgin Atlantic and others, of course you know. Um, he says, you know, even in times of crisis, when things are tough and maybe you haven't got enough money to pay everybody their full salaries, do not lose your people. Come up with agreements with your people that if they need to work from home, for example, obviously we did that in COVID, then they must. If they need to go part-time, then so be it. If they need to take some time off because they've got an elderly parent that needs caring for, you can come up with new temporary solutions, but tell your people that you've got their back and that when things get better again, you will invite them back again. Because of course, if you behave in a certain way during a crisis, that's really you kind of down on your uppers demonstrating who you truly are. And if in a crisis, you dump your people, what does that say about you as a human being? What does that say about you as a business leader? It demonstrates that you do not have depth and that you don't really care. So when you come out of the crisis and, you know, the human race, thank goodness, is incredibly um, versatile. And, you know, we do generally come out the other side, your people will look back at you and go, you know what, when the chips were down, you dumped us. Why would we continue to work for you? My industry, you know, it's dog eat dog. It's a uh, you know, an ocean of sharks in the entertainment business. There are some wonderful people, but some very tough people as well, as very, very high stakes. And increasingly, we're seeing as young people come into the marketplace, who've got a very strong social conscience. They can go work for a thousand competitors. They are increasingly looking at the values of a business. So this is again another chapter in the book. In times of crisis, do not dump your values. In fact, you need to lean on them and make them stronger. So I'll give you a little bit of an example of what we talk about in the book. We had George Floyd in the middle of COVID. A number of my contemporaries running other businesses in the media sector in the US and the UK said at that time, oh, you know what? George Floyd, diversity, inclusion, it's just too much to worry about right now. We're worrying about whether or not we can keep the doors open, which I do understand it was painful. We, in my group at Argonaut, did the opposite. We realised that George Floyd was a pivotal moment for black people all over the world, primarily, but actually for all of us, and you know, starting to look at how we police our our countries and so on. We actually increased our work in diversity and inclusion. We introduced two new uh, uh, internship programmes, one in New York, one in Los Angeles, one in uh, London and another one in Liverpool in the UK. And what was that saying? That was saying, this is important. This is not something that just goes away. This is not something we just dump because we're struggling with COVID. And we we got uh, amazing feedback. We obviously helped uh, four young people coming into the industry get a leg up in, into our sector, which is very important. And also for the teams, funnily enough, working within the group, it was a huge relief to change the subject. So whereas, you know, Minute after minute, day after day, week after week, we'd all been like tearing our hair out, thinking how on earth are we going to get through COVID, talking about vaccines and PPE and, you know, all those terrible things that we all had to contend with for months on end. Actually changing the subject with the team was a great relief. So we had something different to talk about. And we actually did something similar with climate change. So we set up a climate action group in the middle of COVID. Why? Well, obviously, there is a climate emergency. We've got to do something about this and we have a responsibility. You know, we employ thousands of people all over the world and we fly people all over the world a lot. So we had to look at all of these systems and processes that we've had in place for a long time and think about how can we do it differently. But again, changing the subject and engaging my team on something important that showed that we have values, we've got a social conscience, we care about the world we live in, was actually a moment of hope. And I think, again, it contributed to the sense that we at Argonon, we do take our place in the world seriously. We take our people seriously. Even when the chips are down, we are going to hold on to our values.
1: Hey, guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I think it's interesting too, in addition to holding on to your, to your values, you, you made a concerted effort to get, P- it's kind of like a, a virtual slap to the face just to like get somebody out of that hysteria, right? Because we were all so focused on COVID and what does it mean? And oh my God, there's a new strain and what will happen? And all of a sudden, you, know, you were able to give your people something different to focus on. And, and that could be, that's very helpful. So um, I'm, I'm loving this. Take us through some of your other key touch points here on, you know, being flexible in, in a crisis.
0: Well, communication is very, very important. And uh, one of the incredibly inspiring leaders I interviewed is the Republican mayor of Oklahoma City, who is uh, 42 years old. He's extremely young. He's also the first Native American mayor in the U.S. He also has a very strong social conscience, and he's got a very interesting uh, mixed uh, community growing in Oklahoma City because it's got a big digital new uh, startup industry going on, and quite a lot of people are moving to Oklahoma City from the coast. So he was obviously a mayor running this growing city in the middle of a republic. He is a republican himself, but in the middle of a republican state, of Oklahoma, which actually was basically saying COVID doesn't exist. And there was very little, uh, very limited um, response to COVID statewide. He in Oklahoma City took a completely different approach. He said, my people need to be protected. I'm listening to the science and I am gonna do a lockdown. I'm gonna insist on shelter at home. I'm gonna shut down bars and pubs. I'm gonna shut down big groups of people meeting. And he communicated it through a combination of Twitter. Not too much, he said, but some. And some stand-ups. He said it was very important to be authentic. Boosterism has no part. You can't just go around saying, oh, it's all going to be fine, when none of us knew it was going to be fine. Uh, you, you you know, we were struggling when we were the science and the facts, but we had to be honest and say, well, listen, we do not have all the answers right now. But as as management teams... Whether it was him in Oklahoma City or me and my company and many others of us around the world who struggled with the same things, I think the you know the sensible ones were were authentic and said it's painful, it's difficult. We do not have all the answers, but we are working with the facts as best as we can, and we will keep you closely informed. So back to David Holt, who is the mayor of Oklahoma City. He put these very stringent measures in place, and you know what. The outcome, and it's terrible to have to talk in this way, but it's how these things are measured, had a very, very low fatality rate in Oklahoma City. He literally saved people's lives. He protected them, he stood up for them, he communicated in a very authentic way, and he was willing to put people first. So that for me is an absolutely critical, demonstrable lesson, that when you communicate authentically, and when you ask me about pivoting and flexibility, it means being willing to tell the truth, being willing to adapt and evolve as things go along, and also sometimes be willing to operate in the face of what some of his party were saying, which would have demanded a completely different approach. And he said, no, this is what I believe. This is what I'm going to do. And he stood up for himself and he protected the lives of his people. That's his job. The first job of a politician is to save lives, right?
1: This is excellent. I, I want to I pivot a little bit. And one of the things that came out of COVID was mental health stopped being a buzzword because it, it had been really to that point, in my opinion. And the world of certainly companies but the world in general really started recognizing the importance of mental health this was critical of course during covid but this is true in any kind of a crisis whether you're you know a mom a business owner or you know the ceo of a corporation so talk to us about where mental health plays a role in flexible method
0: Looking after the mental health of our people is absolutely essential. We work in, live in now such a highly connected world. We are constantly bombarded by noise and different views and terrifying things, whether it's Ukraine or what's happening in Israel and Gaza. You know, it's nonstop. And that's on the back of inflation and the cost of living crisis and got huge elections coming up in both the US and the UK. So much constant change. We live in a time of perma crisis. It's not one crisis after another, it's multiple crises all at once. So this is very demanding, I think, for anybody, uh, including leaders, and that can be a leader of a team, a leader of a family, a leader of a big business. So I did do some study at the University of Oxford at one point a few years back, and I was interested because they take a very 360 holistic approach to uh, any sort of leadership, which is... We have to take everything into consideration now in the modern world. Sort of top-down leadership that you can expect somebody at the top of the tree to have all the answers, to be able to do it all on their own and get it all right all the time, is just totally unrealistic. You're not going to get the best outcomes. We have to realise that as leaders, and indeed as as parents, as you know, leading a group of friends or leading a team or or like I say, running a a big organization, we have to realise that we are imperfect but we have experience and we are surrounded by good people who can offer their advice and we can lean on them. And we must look after our physical, spiritual, emotional health. So I've always been an advocate in my own life to make sure that, you know, I do care passionately about my personal life. It's very important to me. Uh, The children in my life, you know, they matter uh, enormously. I try to do my best looking after my family and my friends. Um, I take time out. I would not be running a very successful international media group if I didn't really try to respect my weekends. I take it very, very seriously. I try to go to the gym a couple of times a week and then I try and do my 10,000 steps a day. Um, I try and make sure, you know, I have dogs to make sure I go for walks. Um, but I have to make sure I try and eat properly. And, um, try to you know, feed my brain with um, positive stuff. I'm also a great believer in therapy. I've done therapy on and off over the years myself. I'm a great believer in unpicking some of the challenges that life has thrown us. You know, None, none of us has uh, necessarily an easy ride. But I've done a lot of work on myself, and I really encourage my family and my friends when something is tricky, go and seek help. Uh, for me, seeking help is a sign of strength. So I always encourage people to reach out and expertise is available. So, yeah, mental health is very important. We have a number of mental health strategies within my organisation. We have systems whereby people can talk confidentially. Um, When people have um, a bit of a a moment or a, a crisis, we always step in. We give people space. In my industry, the stakes are very, very high you know, the creative sector, you know, people are trying to win Oscars, they're trying to win, you know, major awards, they're trying to do, you know, life changing work. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't work. So, you know, you have to have a lot of emotional intelligence. And I think that's actually an advantage that I did start out as a producer and creative myself before becoming a businessman. So when somebody has a bit of a meltdown in front of me because their show didn't work or they didn't win the award and, you know, this stuff does happen, I'm able to say, well, yeah, it's tough. Uh, life is tough and it's disappointing. The work was great, but there was somebody better on the day or whatever. Um, take some time out. Go, go home, you know. Uh, sometimes, you know, people look at, me, because I do have a lot of patients. And they'll say, you know, James, if this was in a bank and this this person had this kind of crisis meltdown in the middle of the office, they would be fired on the spot. And I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, they might win an Oscar next week. (laughs) So that doesn't justify bad behaviour, but it does allow some latitude. And, you know, all human beings have good days and all human beings have bad days, me included. So we have to allow flexibility in our thinking in that regard.
1: Well said. Uh, I, I know that you said it It feels like we're in this state of perma crisis where it's one crisis after another, but these crises do tend to end, right? Like the Great Depression yeah. ended, the lockdown ended. So talk to us about what do we do as we're coming out of a crisis?
0: Well, it's very important
1: to learn from uh, the successes as well as the mistakes.
0: So what we have always done when we came out of COVID, when we came out of the credit crunch, when we came out of 9-11, we looked at what methods and, 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 and practices we put in place, what worked, how quickly did we respond. Hurricane Sandy was another example when all of our offices were shut down and we had massive power outages in New York. Um, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? So you want to, and in fact, this is the last chapter of the book. It's called Rest, Reward and Review. So the first thing is you must rest. This plays to your point about uh, mental health. We were all exhausted coming out of COVID. I mean, it has been grueling. And you can't just brush that under the carpet. You need to take some time out. So you must encourage your people to take the weekend off, take a vacation, just be at home with the family, or whatever it is they need to do. You must rest, and that includes you and yourself. Reward is very important too. I know that during all the crises that I talk about in the book, people went the extra mile. I mean, they put themselves not necessarily at physical risk. We mitigated against that. And we're very careful for people's health. But people put themselves through immense pressure you know I talked about you know we well for example House Hunters International that show is filming all over the world every single day of the year now when COVID hit of course we couldn't film we couldn't get people on airplanes and we employ thousands of people on that show it's based in New York and these people needed to get back to work but how are we going to get back and come back to work when we can't fly the channel needed to show, the audience wanted to show because the audience needed some comfort. You know, people come to television for many reasons, including comfort and How Suns International is a very comforting show. Um, and crucially, we needed people to be earning again so that they can pay their mortgages and pay their, you know, put food on the table for their kids. So we started the daily process of looking around the world to see where COVID lockdowns were lifting. And when the COVID lockdown lifted in South Korea or when it lifted in New Zealand or when it lifted in Scandinavia, we sent our crews there. And we didn't fly people in, but we hired people locally and we trained people up locally. So actually, what we've started to do now is work with 100 crews around the world. We've trained up who are now producing primetime American television directed from New York. And our teams are no longer constantly living with jet lag and we're not damaging the planet with hundreds of thousands of air miles every single day because we're working with local crews. So back to the point about reward, the people who set up that system, I've got a brilliant uh, senior director um, who was actually pregnant at the time, running this very difficult, complex machine around the world, navigating her way through lockdowns all over the planet. And then afterwards, we were like, with her and all the team, you've got to take time out and we must reward you. And that could be in, t- in terms of agreeing that from now on, she actually moved to the Carolinas. I wanted to reward her and say, I love your work. You're brilliant. You're an absolute valued part of my team. You've got a baby now. You want to live in the Carolinas? We'll still keep employing you. You don't have to be in New York anymore. We'll work hybrid. And indeed, another mum wanted to move to Florida, to Tampa. And I was like, OK, so you run all the production for us all over the world. And we've got, you know... 20 crews across every single continent, every single month. How are you going to do that from Tampa? So, James, trust me. I've done it through COVID. Trust me. So you reward people with trust and obviously a new hybrid working model. And there'll be other incentives, whether it was a box of chocolates or a pay rise, you know, we did all of the above. I love And then lastly, which is my first point, review. You must review. What have we done right? What have we done wrong? And I wrote this book because I wanted it to be a useful manual. We did not do everything right. We did a lot of things right, but we just made a few mistakes. But I wanted to review, put it in writing, so that for now, whoever wants to read this book, and there will be others like it coming down the track, there is a manual that people can reach out for. There is help there if you
1: need it. Beautiful. Beautiful. James, this has been such a wonderful conversation. As you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guest a single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our discussion today.
0: I would like to invite all of your readers, or your listeners, readers and uh, followers to try to perform one random act of kindness every single day. And the
1: trick is, it can
0: be somebody you know or somebody you don't know, but
1: they mustn't know that you've done it. I'm going to put you on the <laughs> spot. I want to put you on the spot, James. Have you listened to the ending of my show before? Of course. <laughs> Indeed. So, yes, you are you are singing my song, There Is No Better Way to feel better physically and emotionally than being kind to other people. So thank you for pointing that out because it's so wonderful. Um, James, tell us where people can learn more about you, the fine work you're doing and where they can get their hands on the flexible method, which is available everywhere.
0: It is available everywhere. It's available on Amazon, on Goodreads and in bookstores. Listen, I'm all about collaboration and dialogue. Uh, you know, I wrote the book to be a useful manual. I put it out there because I want people to have access to it if they want it. And, and I hope people, well, I'm getting some great feedback. So I think people from many different sectors will find some, some nuggets in there that they can use. And I would like feedback. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, James Burstall. Um, drop me a line. So, tell me what you think. This is a book that's work in progress and we're all in this together, Right.
1: So, please come to me with your thoughts and, and we can keep updating. Perfect. I love that. And we're going to have links to everything, James Burst, on the show notes at drrichardschuster.com. So, we got you covered there, too. James, thank you so much for coming out today. This was great. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you who took time out of your day to listen to our discussion. If you liked it, if you're inspired, if you now think you've got a better idea of things to do when you're in a crisis, go give us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice and a follow because this is what helped other people. I'm going to say that again, guess. This is what helps other people find the show. But as James said just a few moments ago, Go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others.